Let us pray. May the truth of God's loving grace be made known, and may it enter our hearts and minds today. Amen. Have you ever heard the song, Our God Reigns? It goes something like this. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him or her who brings good news, good news, announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness. Our God reigns, our God reigns. And then the refrain goes on. Our God reigns, our God reigns. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. The reign of God, the kingdom of God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What are these things? What do they mean? This last Sunday after Pentecost is also known as Christ the King Sunday. As I understand its history, this celebration was to emphasize that Jesus was to be the only king our ruler of our lives, firmly established over, above, and beyond all earthly power, especially in light of past kings and rulers who behaved in ways that were completely opposite of Jesus' life and ministry. So, does our God reign? Does God reign in our lives? Well, God is, after all, God, but I would say that God reigns and is in charge of our lives to the extent that we allow or welcome that. You see, God is not forceful, not a tyrant, but rather God waits patiently and persistently to be asked to have control of our lives. God does not lord it over us. That's just not how God works. While God can be described as King of kings and Lord of lords, I'm not sure really how helpful this is to all of us and our understanding of God, especially in this day and age. Yes, God is definitely all-powerful, omnipotent, having created all that is and continuing to create all that will be. Yet, God, in infinite wisdom, created us humans with this thing called free will, the power to choose to love and to follow. And it's only then, only when we realize our need to cede power, to give up our control and surrender our will to God's, that we invite God to take charge. To surrender is one of the hardest things to do. Author and activist Holly Whitaker offers, Surrender is the strongest, most subversive thing you can do in this world. It takes strength to admit you are weak, bravery to show you are vulnerable, courage to ask for help. It's also not a one-time gig. You don't just do it once and move on. It's a way of existing, a balancing act. For me, she says, it looks like this. I pick up the baton and run as far as I can, and I hand it over when I'm out of breath. Or actually, maybe it's like I'm running with the baton, but the universe is holding on to the other half of it, and we have an agreement that I'll figure out the parts I can 
and hand over the parts I can't. Certainly, surrender is not looked upon favorably by our society. To admit failure, I can't do this on my own. To ask others for help is too hard for many to do. And yet, when we offer our power and our lives to God, admitting and reaching out for help from others, it is then that we can be transformed, set free to live into who we truly are. We're reminded in our collect for today that God wills to restore us, to restore all things through Jesus. God's will is restoration. Let that sink in for a moment. God's will is restoration. Mm. Where do you need restoration in your life? Where do we need restoration in our society and in our world today? We are very clearly divided, held captive by polarization and demonization coming from all sides. How will, how can this distance between us be bridged? I wonder, when might we return to caring for each other again, to listening, agreeing to disagree, and returning each person to the dignity they are due as people created in the image and likeness of God? As our collect tells us, it is only under the gracious rule of God that the peoples of earth divided and enslaved by sin may be freed and brought together again. Under God's way of governing our lives, we are offered love, forgiveness, and care. And it is under the sustaining watch of God that we are intimately known and valued, freed from feelings of unworthiness, inadequacy, or insufficiency. This is the truth that Jesus speaks about today in our gospel lesson. And this is the truth that Jesus is. There are things in this world that are true, like the laws of physics, and there are truths that help us to understand the world that we live in and how it works and how things behave. For example, if you get between a mama bear and her cub, she will attack you. And if you crash into a tree because you are looking at your phone, you will receive a ticket and your insurance will go up. This is intellectual truth, common sense truth, the kind of truth that we use to make our way through this world and to make sense of it. And then there is the truth, capital T-R-U-T-H. This truth is revelatory. It changes everything about how we act and behave, and it informs who we are, indeed shaping our very identities. When Pilate questions Jesus, Jesus explains that his kingdom is not from this world. Jesus is a king, the king of the Jews, for want of a better word, but not in the sense of forced allegiance and tyranny, no, the kingdom, or another word I really like, the kingdom, 
of Jesus is not of this earth. It is not something that we can recognize or understand as having to do with positions of power and systems and hierarchies. Remember, Jesus totally upends all those kinds of notions with his life and ministry. Jesus' ministry is to those who are outside of these power structures, and he elevates them and brings them inside and brings them up. Jesus' kingdom is all about people, all people, people over power, people over riches, people over position. All are involved and included, all are kin. The power structures that we're used to looking for and participating in have nothing to do with the kingdom of God that Jesus is demonstrating. Pilate asks, so you are a king? Jesus doesn't answer other than to say the reason that he was incarnate was to testify to the truth. Through Jesus' teaching and examples, we hear and see a deeper everlasting truth. In Jesus, the truth of who God is and who we are is revealed. The God who was and is and is to come, the Alpha and the Omega, since before the world began for everlasting, this timeless and eternal truth that Jesus represents points to God. Biblical scholar Emily Towns explains, God truly is a God of love and grace who wills the blessings of creation in our lives. God truly is a God of love and grace who wills the blessings of creation in our lives. This great truth is revealed in Revelation when we hear Jesus described as the one who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. Jesus loves us in the present, here and now, whoever we are. And Jesus freed us, freed, E-D, past tense. We are freed by the amazing example of the unconditional love of the cross. We have been set free. And although Jesus' death occurred in the past, the ripples of its effect continue throughout time. This truth, the truth that Jesus shows us in the flesh is the truth about the nature of God. God is love and grace. And we are invited to hear this truth and to enter into a relationship of seeking this truth in ourselves and with those around us. And we are encouraged not, to, not just to take this truth in and to think on it, but rather, like Jesus, to do something with it. To send its echoes reverberating throughout our world. Emily Towns puts it well. Again, she says, In Jesus, we learn that truth is a stimulant for faithful living and witness, rather than only a matter for contemplation. Siblings in Christ, members of the kingdom of God, seekers and pilgrims all, 
May the truth of God's restoring and freeing grace through Christ and in Christ and with Christ empower you to follow, to relinquish your power and your lives to God's gracious rule this day and for the days to come. And may the truth of God's loving and gracious nature reign forever and ever. Amen.